Coming up in this podcast, Coronavirus, South Perth and Subiaco Developments, Indiana Tea House, Property Report, Retail Failures, Housing Prices, Mining Contracts, How to Turn a $6 Million Punt into a $30 Million Debt, and our special report on WA's Most Influential. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer. Mark, uh, let's talk about the coronavirus again. It's been a big challenge all week for markets. How did it end up? Well, look, there's been a fairly sanguine response on the markets uh, and for most of the economic analysis that I've read, albeit uh, the the virus continues to spread um, at what appears to be quite an alarming rate. So the full impact of this is yet to unfold. Early in the week, we saw a big fall away in markets. Uh, The iron ore price fell by about $10 US, but it's stabilised since that fall. Uh, Similarly, uh, the Aussie dollar has been a bit volatile, but it's still around 67 US cents, which is where it was a week ago. Um, Likewise, the Australian stock market uh, fell below 7,000 points um, on the key indices, um, but it's back there again. So the markets generally seem to be saying this is a very um, concentrated uh, event um, that will have a a narrow focus. Um, So it's a bit more uh, a calmer evaluation than some of the uh, concern that we saw a week ago. But as I say, it's still unfolding. It's certainly hitting tourism. Uh, The Tourism Council of WA, they've done a preliminary survey of their members, Uh, 80% say they're feeling some economic pain as a result of this. Uh, 40% of their members have recorded cancellations. Um, So that's a a very significant impact on that sector. Um, Certainly for airlines, it's had a big impact. Um, You know, lots of uh, services no longer going into China. And the Uh, fishermen too, I think the lobster trade has been down a bit too, hasn't it? The the lobster trade, effectively, they've they've put things on ice. Because Um, the the New Year, uh, Chinese New Year is obviously a big time and uh, yeah, they would expect uh, quite a bonus out of that period, and that's been a very dead patch, hasn't it? Mm. And then the other one is uh, the universities and, and other uh, training institutions, all their Chinese students uh, were due to come back. Yep. Um, so their plans have been heavily disrupted. Uh, they're doing their best to adapt, um, allowing people to do tuition um, in their home uh, if they can't come out to Australia. Um, now, you know, ironically, you know, Western Australia battled to get its fair share of Chinese students. So in a sense, we're less exposed to this. Uh, yeah. Some of the big East Coast universities, um, something like half their students are international yeah. and a big chunk of them are Chinese. So they're feeling it to a greater extent than the universities here in Western Australia. And the impact there is not just, I mean, I guess there's an immediate impact in the sense those students aren't there, but I mean, they're still signed up, presumably, and going to pay their fees, presumably. It's more the long-term ramifications of Australia shutting its borders and people going, oh, gee, if I study in Australia, I might, you know, get treated differently than if I'm studying in Britain or the US. But I'm not quite, I think US must have very similar controls, right? Well, well, this is interesting. I mean, Australia and the US are amongst just a handful of countries that have applied um, these very strict uh, restrictions on travel by Chinese people. Yeah. Um, it's about five, Australia, US, Japan, um, Singapore, and one or two others. Yeah. So it's not, 
every country around the world. You know, so we're we're at, at the if you like taking the a stricter approach in our response. Yeah, well, I'm not sure that anyone's going to be complaining about that right now, especially as it's continuing to spread in China, as you mentioned. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Um, now, changing it up a bit there, some big news in South Perth has caught the attention of readers. Yeah, look, one of the things we've discussed a lot is the battles around getting more infill in established suburbs, getting higher density development. Um, and South Perth and Subiaco are mm-hmm. two areas that are at the... Uh, at the front of that battle. Um, last week, Planning Minister Rita Safiotti gave the final approval for the Civic Heart Project. Now, this is a 39-storey tower that Finbar is planning to build uh, right in the heart of South Perth, mm. hence the name, um, on that corner of Labashire Road and Mill Point Road. Uh, Finbar's been working at this for some years. Um, they've been toing and froing with the local council. Um, last year, it actually got their revised plans got knocked back by the local development assessment panel, and the minister finally intervened um, in, in a way that is quite rare. Um, she effectively overruled the other planning authorities, weighed up all the evidence, and said this should go ahead. Mm. Now, her statement said that she just wanted to end uncertainty about what's going on here. However, you know, there are still other groups out there. Um, Serona Development, Edge Visionary Living, uh, there's an Asian group. They've all got plans in the works and they're still trying to get finalising a final say on what they can do. Yep. So there's still some way to run on this one. Similarly, in South Perth, I'm sorry, in Subiaco, uh, long-running debate there, um, a hotly debated topic as to how they get more infill and more density into that suburb. One thing that's made a big difference is um, the changes around Subiaco Oval um, and the old Princess Margaret Hospital site. Um, they've opened up the opportunity for something like 2,000 new dwellings to go into the city of Subiaco. And that's generally accepted. But the latest planning scheme, which was approved late last year by the Minister, included some nodes of development around Shenton Park and Daglish train stations. So that's uh, got a lot of concern. Mike Nahan has sort of emerged from his semi-retirement. He's become very active on this one um, on behalf of the Liberal Party and local residents are very concerned as well. Yeah, I think the big one is some four-storey building might overshadow a kindergarten, I recall, is uh, is the one that's hit the headlines the most there. Sounds like you've been reading the local paper. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, But I think, yeah, you know, look, uh, I mean, it's odd, really, that that, that railway parade or whatever it's called there, Railway Road, that area has been, um, you know, asking for that kind of development for a long time. And you can see there's not been a lot of spending on the houses along there, in my view, for a long time because it's clearly what people should be doing. So it's that clash, isn't it, between, you know, the old and the new and, and, uh, you know, trying to use land efficiently big challenge, I think. Mm, certainly is. Um, and Mark, sort of somewhat uh, related, some delays in the redevelopment of Cottesloe Icon Indiana Tea House. Yeah, so um, Andrew and Nicola Forrest, um, their Mindaroo group, has bought the Indiana Tea House and they've been going through a public consultation process to try and work out what to do there. They ran a design competition They got uh, some of the world's best architects on the case. Uh, They released 
um, several designs, and then settled on um, two, a short list of two. Now, they had an expert design panel, and they've come up, they, they favoured a design from a group called Durback Block Jaggers, um, which was one of the more, it was the more, uh, I don't know if radical is the right word, but it was sort of the more innovative design, I would say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but most of the public. Strategically. <laughs> yes. Uh, but most of the public don't like that one. Right. Only 10% of the public said they liked that one. And was there a preference for the other? or did the Most other get people, 53%. Preferred an alternative that would be had been prepared by Kerry Hill Architects. Okay, yeah, and that was one that had it had a similar feel to what was happened up at City Beach. Um, just looking at sort of the lines of it and the, yeah, the, okay. the the general aesthetics of it was similar to City Beach. Interesting, uh, but there was also a bit over a third of people said keep the existing building. Yeah, so. Um, the, the Forrest family and their Mindaroo group have encountered the same issue that a lot of local councils now encounter, yeah. you know, how to get consensus on what sort of future development should happen. So essentially, Nicola Forrest has come out and said, we're going back to the drawing board. We've got to do a bit more study here, a bit more consultation, and try to find something that everybody will be happy with. I think it's a bit weird, this one, isn't it? Because the Indiana Tea House is iconic only to view it from the beach side. Otherwise, and okay, if you go in there, it's nice enough, but it doesn't really use the spectacular views or anything like that. It's it's a it's an old building, which, you know, it, sorry, it's just, it's designed to like an old building. So it's got, you know, lots of little windows instead of what a new building would have. So it's kind of ironic that this, actually this new building is seen as iconic, like an old building. And that's their challenge to somehow replicate that Whereas what they're putting in there are spectacular bits of architecture that probably do a fantastic job when you're in the building, but probably don't look as good from the outside or as iconic. So that'll be their challenge. And I note, just thinking, uh, Kerry Hill Architects from Recollection have been doing Forest Hall and Forest Hall 2, which are obviously um, the for Mindaroo and the Forest have funded down there at UWA. Just a little interesting connection. Okay, yeah. Um, all right, Mark, that's interesting. And just sticking a little bit on property, the Property Council had some positive news on the commercial vacancy rates. So they put out their um, latest figures. Um, look, a, a modest improvement in the commercial office market in, uh, in the CBD. Um, the vacancy rate now stands at 17.6%. Um, that's down from 185 last year. So yep. look, it's still a pretty high number, um, but slowly improving. What's important here is to distinguish between the different grades of building. So if you're looking at a premium building, the vacancy rate there is about 8%. Yeah. So much better. And if you're looking, if you're a tenant looking for a, a contiguous uh, sort of floor plate um, in a premium building, there's actually very few options available yeah, right. in the Perth market. And yep. So, so we've seen that, haven't we? That's really why Chevron's building a building and all that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So lots of bits and pieces in lots of older buildings or lower grade buildings, yep. um, but very little at the uh, quality end. Um, interesting bit of information, the largest leasing agreement over the past year was from WeWork, the, uh, the co-working business. Uh, they took up a lot of space in both Central Park and in um, a building in Northbridge. So, and there's a, a two or three other of those sort of co-working groups who've also taken up space. So that's one of the big trends in the market. 
And do we know what's happened there? I mean, WeWork's gotten a bit of trouble internationally. Has the Australian division of that in the same... Uh, look, still operating. Still, as they seem to have sort of worked their way through that. Um, don't know about long term, yeah. um, but they sort of came through that crisis period. Um, but I think one thing they will do, uh, and this is a classic for the Perth market, when there's a big project on, the engineering firms need lots of space. Normally, they'd be out there looking to do a big le- a, a leasing deal. Yeah, right. Um, now, those sort of co-working operations give another alternative to yeah. people. Flexible looking. space. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, fair enough. Um, now, Mark, uh, retail failures have continued this week, showing that that sector has not recovered from the the downturn or been able to cope with online competition. You know, a bit of mixture there. And I guess generally there's a picture there. Housing and also has also been soft, but in contrast, there's been plenty of activity in the mining sector. Yeah, look, very patchy sort of data in terms of what's happening in the WA economy. Um, look at retail. Yeah, look, we've had several more failures over the past week. Um, there's a national chain, um, Colette by Colette Heyman. For those of you who are out there buying handbags and fashion accessories, they've got about 15 stores in WA, mm. so they've gone into administration. Um, another one, uh, Cosmic Music, a uh, iconic Perth mm. business. Many people bought their guitars and other musical instruments. Um, they've shut down. And Main Peak, so they are a, a retailer of outdoor sports equipment. Um, yeah, they've been around for a long time, right? Early 80s, from recollection. That's right. Um, you know, they were 1984, there. they were established. They were established, I think, before some of these big brands that we see in today. The, you know, what are we? What are, it's that sort of? It's a pretty competitive field, isn't it? You got your Katmandu, you got your uh, Mac Pack, you got Paddy Palin. Have I missed a yeah, few there? I'm sure there are others. Yeah, you know. And where you know, Main Peak was a local business. Yeah. Um, and look. The, the administrator, uh, Kim Wallman from HLB Manjud, he was saying, look, that, that, that's been tough for this business. Uh, they've had modest lo- losses for quite some time. And one of the ways they've responded, you know, they've had less and less stock in their stores. But that becomes a vicious spiral. Yeah, if right. you've got less stock on the shelves, customers are less happy. Um, people will go to one of the big stores or they'll go online. Yeah. Um, and this is you know, discretionary spending. You know, if you're wanting to tighten your belt a little bit, yeah. this is the kind of stuff. The snowboard is something that might uh, not get bought. Um, and look, it also follows uh, some. The ABS put out their annual retail figures for the year. Now, in real terms, retail spending rose by just 0.3 percent yeah. last year. That was the slowest growth on record. So since 1983, when they've been recording this data, yeah. that's the slowest growth in real terms. So little wonder Someone, some of these businesses are, uh, are folding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, look, and just as a reference point there, Mark, also should say you've got those big, you said the big stores, those category killers like uh, Anaconda and that, I suppose, getting into that, you know, I know that Main Peak would be more niche, but... You know, if you've got to go and buy a new tent or you've got to buy some hiking gear or whatever, you've got those kind of big superstores as well, which didn't exist 20 years ago. That's true. That's true. Um, the other one you touched on earlier, Mark, um, the residential property market in Perth. Yeah. Uh, look, we have the latest monthly figures out, um, continuing to be a pretty soft market in WA. Um, numbers for January were flat. Um, for the past quarter, um, down by 0.1% in WA. 
in marked contrast to what's happening on the east coast. Um, Property Uh values in Sydney and Melbourne and elsewhere are sort of taking off again. Shooting up, yeah. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. Um, So that uh, recovery that a lot of people were anticipating in residential property values in Perth, um, it's taking a while to get going. (laughs) (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yeah, right. Um, so, on the, so there, it's areas where it's quite soft. Um, but look, um, the mining sector, a lot of investment happening there, particularly the iron ore projects up north, um, both expansion projects and the ongoing sort of maintenance and sustaining capex, and that's flowing through. So we had companies like Primero, um, NRW Holdings, Kerman Contracting, Southern Cross Electrical, during the past week. They all announced some very substantial contracts, uh, pretty much all of them up in the Pilbara um, yep. iron ore projects. Um, so that, that's still out there, you know, and that's still a really significant driver of activity in this town. Um, so let's not forget that. No. Um, that's a pretty positive one. Definitely. Hopefully that'll start. Start. But anyway, we've been saying that for a long time, Mark, so and I don't hold too much hope that it's going to shift everything. Yeah. And in that regard, we also had a bit more good news during the week. There's been a bit of controversy recently about payment terms for small businesses. Um, And some of the big corporates had been doing this thing we discussed last week, reverse factoring, where essentially they were saying to their small business uh, suppliers, if you want to get paid fast, you've got to take a haircut on how much we pay you. Now, some of the big corporates like Rio and Telstra have backed away from that. Um, under some political pressure. And in fact, they've come out during the week and improved on what they were doing earlier. So Rio has said small businesses um, that with an annual turnover up to 10 million, they'll get paid within 20 days of lodging their invoice. Um, Telstra, similarly, they're saying small businesses with turnover up to $2 million, they'll also get paid within 20 days. Um, now, this is something that, you know, and, and I've had people calling me um, saying that this is a, a big issue for them, um, that there are these sort of declared payment terms, and mm. it always seems to be slower, um, but at least this is a signal that some of these big corporates are uh, looking to improve what they do for their small business suppliers. Mm. Another part of social license, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good to hear. Um, now, Mark, you've reported on a court case which has cost one share investor an awful lot of money. Look, this is a really fascinating one. A uh, Supreme Court ruling came out during the week. Um, it involved um, Argonaut, um, sort of stockbroking corporate finance group in town, and one of their clients, Russell Moran, is a company director, been involved in a lot of uh, sort of mining projects. Um, was one of the founders of a business called Atrium Coal uh, with a coal project in Canada. He wanted to pump some more capital into that business back about six years ago yep. uh, when things were a bit tight. He didn't have the, uh, the cash available, so he went out and borrowed some money. What was meant to be a and, short-term loan... And that was Euros didn't lend the so money. Argonaut. But, uh, sorry, Argonaut didn't lend the money, but Argonaut... Argonaut arranged the loans. So they kind of brokered the loans. They brought together a syndicate. Um, in fact, Hope Ridge Capital, um, yep. a local um, investment house, was one of the main lenders. Rod, Rod Jones from Navitas. That's, that's his right. private family business, yeah. Now, it's one of those classic examples where what's meant to be bridging finance, sort of a short-term loan, becomes a long-term loan. Yeah, because Russell Moran 
borrowed the money at 5% per month yep. with the interest capitalised. Now, you do the sums, that comes through at 79% per annum. Yep. Now, he wasn't able to um, pay off the loan in the agreed time. He got some extensions, followed by another extension. Um, eventually, the lenders exercised their security. They sold off his shares in Atrum Coal. But the amount of money he owed had ballooned. They raised $12 million and used that to pay off the accumulated debt. But they said, you still owe us another $6 million right. on a loan that originally was $6 million. Um, they then ne- sought to negotiate a final settlement, but they didn't, couldn't do that. They went to court. Argonaut has won the court case. Now they're saying the debt is now in excess of $30 million. And presumably still climbing, is it? Or was it, or is that the, ca- the case? Climbing, is climbing over... every day until yeah. it gets paid back. Yeah, right. Um, now, Russell Moran is a, a director of another listed company. Um, it's worth a lot less money than that. Um, he's, he's a chairman of Metals Tech. Um, another junior stock but gee it shows the risk that's involved you know we often see people who who take a punt you know they invest in a project they buy some assets it takes off in value and they become very wealthy yeah but there are a lot of others who are highly geared to a high risk undertaking like this and it can blow up badly yeah, and look, look, I'm presuming someone like Russell Moran was, you know, knew what they were doing, and and you know made a, you know, took took t- took the risk, you know, knowing knowing the possibilities. Presumably, and that was part of the case, yeah. that, that was the sort of thing yeah. that the court case looked at, and he had professional advice. Yeah. Whereas I, I do know of, you know, other instances of this kind of thing where it's way nastier and. You know, people. Well, I guess it can't be much nastier than getting the Supreme Court, to be honest. But, but where people have lost their businesses and everything, where they simply didn't really understand the risks, and uh, yeah, and, and I, I, so I'm intrigued to see. Like, this is a big one, but I have heard of smaller and yet equally as traumatic kind of instances. Um, pretty fascinating uh, kind of subject. So, great story, Mark. Now, uh, on the back of our sold-out Great for the State lunch this week, uh, some of the people who spoke uh, will be appearing in your feature this week, WA's Most Influential. Yeah, look, this is something we've been doing for a long time now. And uh, on Friday at our lunch, um, two of the speakers, we had Michael Cheney, uh, Chairman of West Farmers, and Elizabeth Gaines, uh, Chief Executive of Fortescue Metals Group. Um, uh, they both spoke at the lunch we hosted, uh, along with a couple of other people. And, yeah, look, they feature on this our list of, you know, who are the movers and shakers in WA? So that'll be coming up in our next edition. Um, look, we run through politics, business, uh, public opinion. You know, I look at it and I ask the question, um, who, who controls policy decisions? Um, who influences where the money goes? And, and who influences public opinion? Um, they're sort of the three criteria I tend to look at. Yeah. Now, top of the list, once again, is the Premier, Mark McGowan, uh, you know, most influential person in the state, undoubtedly. Um, and around him is that sort of core group of ministers, people like Ben Wyatt and Rita Safiotti, who really drive the agenda for this government. Um, and then some of their key advisors, uh, we look at them as well. So if you're, if you're in the Premier's office, that gives you a lot of influence. Um, at, at a federal level, you know, we've got people like Matthias Corman and Christian Porter who are uh, at the very top of uh, their game in the federal government. Um, and then in the business community, I mean, look, we've already spoken about Andrew and Nicola Forrest. 
uh, Gina Reinhart, and then some of the top executives, you know, Bill Beamont and uh, and other mining companies and people like Elizabeth Gaines at Fortescue. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting to sort of survey about uh, where the real influence lies. Well, I look forward to getting right into that, Mark, and uh, examining all your uh, very cautious decisions. Thank you. Join us for breakfast on Wednesday, March 11, as the Liberal leader, Lisa Harvey, outlines her economic vision for the state a year ahead of the next election. With growing cost of living pressures on working Western Australians and the unemployment numbers remaining above the national, national average, the leader of the opposition will discuss some of the headwinds facing the WA economy together with the opportunities to grow. Go online at www.businessnews.com.au for tickets or call us on 9 2100. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Byer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud. <laughs>